Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Inside the Archives. I'm your host, Marty Rosenbaum, XRT's digital content producer and all things social media. If you've yet to do so, you can find Inside the Archives on iTunes and Radio.com. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and a review, and find a full listing of every single episode we've done thus far. All you need to do is search for Inside the Archives, hit that subscribe button, and you'll get everything you need. Live music is an experience that is unreplicated in any other form. There's different ways that can simulate the experience, but nothing is come close to providing the stimulation of being there in person. The age of digital media has given an avenue for people to easily access a live concert experience. Whether it's a live webcast or YouTube video, artists can bring their live show to a larger amount of people. But even that's limited. The simplest way to recreate the concert experience is with a live album. Front to back, uninterrupted, it takes you as close as you can get to being in the venue. What was once seemingly a staple of many artists, though, looks like it may have gone by the wayside. In today's episode of Inside the Archives, XRT's night guy Ryan Arnold joins me to discuss the simple question, what happened to all the live albums? Ryan, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. What happened to them? They're still there, and there's more live uh, recordings, official releases now than there ever, ever have been. So there it, there it is. That's the podcast done. Let's go, <laughs> let's go home, close up shop. But a little, little bit of backstory to this question. If you're a follower of XRT's social media pages on Facebook or Twitter at 93XRT, also on Instagram, find us at the same account. I asked last week, what was your favorite live album that's been released within the past 10 years? So I was looking for stuff that was released from 2009 up until 2019. Unfortunately, some people didn't heed instructions very well and gave me a lot of responses that were pre-2009, but you know what? I'll let that slide. I didn't count them in the responses. Just follow the instructions next time, people. This is, this is fun stuff we're doing. But that being said, I was pleasantly surprised by the variety of responses we got from artists I really wouldn't have associated as a live music staple. Now, we did get bands like Fish and The Grateful Dead who are noted for their live shows and growing their communities via live albums. However, there are a lot of other artists there that have live material that aren't normally associated with that. And I'm talking about artists like Tame Impala, The National, Drive-By Truckers, Cage the Elephant, all had multiple people chiming in saying they loved their live records. So that kind of changed my, my, my viewpoint on this. I had gone into the mindset of thinking, the last 10 years, there's not really that much there however there is a lot there and as evidenced by the responses we got on social media so ryan i want to dispel the myth that i talked about earlier that there are no live albums the impact that a live album can have may be a little bit different than some of the classic live albums so you know what i want to hear your take on is how did how do live albums 
become impactful. And let's talk about more of the, in a historical perspective, pre-2008, what kind of an impact does a live album have on a band? Live albums, whether you're talking classic, The Who Live at Leeds, or Pearl Jam Live on Two Legs, or even Cage the Elephant uh, Unpeeled uh, record, they bring the live music experience to a lot of people who will never have the opportunity to see this band live. Um, I think another thing about some of these live albums that have come out, uh, Peter Frampton, Frampton Comes Alive, uh, Bruce Springsteen, Live 1975 to 85, you know, those were, they're, they're, they're kind of like the live albums against which future live albums for other bands are measured. They sent they set the benchmark. They sent the uh, set the the, the waterline uh, real high, and bands strive to to meet that. To to say I've got to put out something like that, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to replicate uh, replicate our live shows, replicate what we do to create music uh, and bring it to people who might not otherwise be able to get their hands on it. So, what do you think about those albums? Creates that prestige amongst it. I mean, is this something that, in the moment, let's say like a Cheap Trick live at Budokan, I know you're a huge Cheap Trick fan, when when you hear that album right away and having heard their other studio albums, does that just kind of hit you like a punch? You're like, whoa, this is an entirely different animal. Or is it something that, over time, gets that prestige? Uh, yeah, it's. I like to call records like that, uh, records like Cheap Trick, Live at Budokan, Chest Kickers. You don't expect it. Um, but it is one of the most accurate representations of uh, a band's energy on stage and in front of an audience, you know, and it's captured on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it does take time as the band goes on to know that it wasn't just, a, you know, for people to realize it's not a flash in the pan. That's really who they are. That's really the type of show they deliver. Mm-hmm. But that can only happen over time. Right. Well, and I, I mean, for me... The, the the thing I love about live albums is you're hearing a band in its rawest form. You don't have the safety net of a studio that'll protect you against any mistakes. It's You're putting yourself full on display, and full props to any musician that's willing to get up on stage and do that, because it can be a very intimidating thing, I would imagine. Um, but when you when you have that in its almost purest form, I feel like that would incentivize you to go out there and see them and just witness it for yourself after hearing that record. Yeah, I'd agree. But think about how many fans may never get the opportunity. Bands may not tour where you live. Bands may not tour at a a time or date or a point in your life where you're able to see them. All right. So that, I mean, that being said, with the plethora of live albums that we got in our responses, you know, why do you think they may not have the notoriety of a live at Budokan, of a Neil Young's live Rust, of a lot of these records you look back on and thinking, man, they're staples. This was like the glory years. This is kind of just playing into that old, um, you know, the glory days, talking about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> um, but just thinking about, you know, maybe stuff, you, you have those memories that are associated when you're a bit younger and that just hasn't been established for some of these records yet. I think that's a big part of it is that they just haven't been around that long. Uh, but also, there's so many ways to hear Tame Impala live more than just a, a live record or a few live songs that they would release. Um, there's just so many more opportunities to hear when bands are streaming their concerts, 
Um, you know, bands like Fish have been doing that for years and making a big deal out of it with their couch tours. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to capture that um, just so easily, uh, that it probably is going to be harder for records like uh, Jason Isbell, the uh, Live at the Ryman record mm-hmm. that came out uh, a couple of years ago. It might be a little harder for that to become, to earn the props that it it so rightly deserves. Right. And that's, I mean, when, when I asked that question, that was the exact album I had in mind for my answer. That is really what turned me on to being a Jason Isbell fan. Um, you know, we, I heard his songs on the radio. I liked it, but it never felt like it really stuck with me. And then you hear an album like Live at the Ryman, man, that just blows you away. Yeah, dude's got chops. Yeah. He's got a killer band behind him. Well, and from there, you know, I found myself going into their studio, going into his studio albums and the albums that he's done with the 400 unit, and you, you gain a new appreciation for the songs. Yeah, absolutely. When you can take what you've done in the studio and either replicate it live, it almost validates, like, wow, you know, that band, they got the goods. In the mm-hmm. studio, they're not relying on being overly produced. Like, they are genuinely incredible players um but it can also show you a band's i guess breadth of their skills yeah when you can take go to cage the elephant the unpeeled record that's a good example they literally stripped down some of their greatest most energetic tunes and completely rework them and that shows how great uh, of a band they are from musicians to matt schultz singing it's it's just an incredible band that they were able to reinterpret those songs. Yeah. I guess it's a shameless plug for XRT here, but that's one of the things I love about our live from Studio X sets and artists that we bring into the Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage who just perform acoustically. You know, nothing to take away from the full band experience, but if you have an artist that comes in, you know, just an acoustic guitar and let's say an acoustic bass and a keyboard, you're taking the song down to its foundation, to its roots. And to bring that in front of people and to really wow you and blow you away, that says something. And for me as a listener, that brings me further into their music. Yeah, those are once-in-a-lifetime live music experiences. And when you say that it brings some of those songs back to their foundation, you're probably hearing those songs the way they were first conceived. Yeah, Somebody sitting behind a piano or noodling on an acoustic guitar uh, and that's how whatever the 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 full band version, you know, <laughs> it started with a guy on a guitar. Yeah. When I think about an artist like Jade Bird who came about, you know, young artist, and she, it was just her armed with an acoustic guitar, and do you host that live from Studio X set at Shuba's? With I her? did. That was you. I know she had a backing band with her, but it still felt minimal, and yeah, the second she played, that was another one of those moments, like, wow, this, she has chops, she is one... Chest talented kicker. songwriter. Yeah. And it just, yeah, I mean, that gets you. Touching on a point you talked about earlier is the access to live music that we have these days, thanks to YouTube, streaming services, live webcasts. How much of a role do you think that plays, A, in exposing people to an artist, but getting people to listen further and further into that artist's material? I think it's, it's, it's crucial. You know, it can be a gateway. You said yourself that when you heard the live at the Ryman record, all of a sudden you found yourself going into Jason Isbell's catalog with the 400-unit solo, drive-by truckers, you know. Uh, it's crucial. So with the 
you know, accessibility being at an all time high compared to the seventies where you had to go out and, you know, buy the album on vinyl or hope to hear it on the radio. Do you think that has an impact from an artist standpoint on the need to release a live album? Not being an artist, you know, I never thought about it that way. Um, I know that when I see or hear about a new live album coming out from a band that maybe I've heard their live stuff before, um, either an official release or just heard it, sometimes I'm not as excited. Uh, you know, an example would be the Rolling Stones. They have one of the greatest live albums in rock history yeah. and get your yayas out. Yeah. They have about a, a dozen official live albums over the course of their career. Mm-hmm. Another one just came out. Mm-hmm. Love the Stones, love what they're doing, love to hear them uh, kind of keep it, love to hear them keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. At the same point, you're yeah. getting 15 out of the 20 songs that are on every other record. You got it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's an that's an interesting point too, because a lot of artists who may be touring behind an album and vary their set list by one to two songs a night, that's got to be something you take into consideration and saying, okay, do I want to present this material when people are going to hear the exact same thing? And then one thing I was thinking about when putting this podcast together was just the state of the music industry. So much of the financial side of musicians is relied upon ticket sales Mm -hmm. and is the live album you know maybe this is a question this is probably a question that's bigger than the two of us is the live album a conduit into getting more ticket sales or is it really setting a roadblock for people i'd love to just to hear what you know your thoughts on that matter are i'd say it's more the former than the latter you know i don't know if if you would hear a live recording of a band and go well now i don't need to see them live because i've already heard what they can do live right you know, I don't think it'd be a roadblock. A conduit, yeah. I think it's more of a conduit. Personally yeah. speaking, absolutely. Yeah. Well, does it ruin any element of surprise that you have going into a show? I know, for me, certain artists where you know they're going to be playing a very similar set list night after night. Let's let's take the Rolling Stones upcoming shows in Chicago. You know you're going to hear Satisfaction, Jumpin' Jack, Flash, Sympathy for the Devil. But there's still that excitement when it does come on. Is that not there for, you know, maybe an artist that isn't the Rolling Stones? I think that, yeah, it probably isn't there just because the body of work isn't there. The fan base isn't there. Um, we're, we're probably not going to have another band like the Rolling Stones that spans, well, just literally spans generations, but also, you know, is so inclusive for for generations of, of fans, you know, mm. from, from, you know, it's a familial thing for a lot of people, you know, right. a familial band for a lot of people. Let's take a look at some of the younger bands that are out there. A band, a band like the record company. Um, I don't know if they have, do they have any live albums out? I'm not sure, but they have two LPs that are out. You know, their set list is going to be comprised of that and first album, second album, and maybe a couple of covers that are thrown in. When you hear a band, let's like the record company, what impresses you more, hearing that studio take and then seeing it live, or hearing a live take and then going to listen to the studio record? Record company is a great example. Personally, they're one of the they're one of the greatest bands that I've come across over the last four or five years. And I, I tell this story 
about the first time I ever played him, uh, New Noise at Nine. I didn't know I was going to play him until the day of the show mm -hmm. because it just kind of got slipped in and I didn't hear it in advance. And I was left speechless. It was one of the coolest things I had ever heard or had ever played on the new music show. Um, that being said, it made me want to see them. Can they do this thing live? Yeah. And as far as not so much a surprise, uh, because when I saw them live and they, you know, blew the doors off the joint, it wasn't surprising. It was almost kind of like, ah, I expected that, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> hearing what they did on a record. Yeah. You know, to, you know, to leave this crowd just in pieces, that's not surprising at all. Yeah. Um, you know, so the record company, no, I don't think it, it dissuaded really anybody had to see what they do, you know, what they did live. Yeah. Yeah. So hint, hint, fellas, we could use a live record. Yeah. <clears throat> Hence, I know you guys are listening right now. But that, I mean, that's a, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. If I hear a song that's on a studio record and then the artist, even if it's like replicating the sound in the live setting, that's fantastic. I'm glad they can do it. You know, I, I go to see that show and just see the chops that they have. And, um, you know, for me, that that's a great way to win over your music as a fan. But also, like I mentioned, like with Jason Isbell's Live at the Ryman, you hear some of those songs just in the live album and going back to the studio version, that can be just as impactful. And I think when we're talking about where have all the live albums gone, it's still out there. There's just tons of different methods for you to access it. And it's not going to be going out to the record store to buy a record. You're going to get it however is most convenient to you. And I think a lot of artists these days are aware of that, where maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't the case when YouTube was still in its earliest days, when streaming services were in their infancy. There may not have been much of an incentive to produce a live record. Yeah, because it was going to be something that, oh, it wouldn't be as financially viable as a studio record. Yeah, I can see that too. Mm -hmm. To your point, this is an example of meeting listeners where they're at. You know, just being able to kind of deliver in the way they want to, you know, receive music, the way they want to hear it, the way they want to get it. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. I wanted to reference a piece that Lynn wrote for Lynn's Bin. Um, you can find it on 93XRT.com. And if you're listening right now, I'll be sure to plug this link into the post so you can read it for yourself. But it was a very simple question. Why is live music better? And Lynn had a great line that touched exactly on what you just said, Ryan. He said, Songs we guarded jealously as our own become something we share, something we share and remember. And that speaks exactly to what you were just saying. So there's a couple other things in that piece that Lynn wrote that I want to touch on. He wrote, Because a song that first impressed us with its anthemic bombast can grace a stage stripped of all distractions and become something so personal that you finally understand the excruciating depth of that song's meaning. He continued, because expectations built on a performance in a recording studio cannot accommodate what happens to a rock and roll song in the hands of dangerous men. Really, I should have just had Lynn talk ad lib for five minutes about this, because he can wax poetically like few others can. But since it's just you and I, Ryan, let's, let's touch on what he wrote there a little bit. The, the first quote, when a song that first impressed us with an anthemic bombast can grace a stage stripped of all distraction becoming so personal, you finally understand the excruciating depth of that song's meeting. That can only take place in the live setting. It's something that you get whether going to concert or in the live album. It's at its rawest. It's most raw. It's most pure. Mm -hmm. 
And to get that shared experience, as you touched on, when hearing that with others, I mean, you heard that, you know, the record company song by yourself in the studio and sharing it with the XRT listeners over the radio, to finally be in that room together, that just creates such a special feeling. So I'm wondering, you know, if we're doing that on the live album, do you still get that feeling? Even though you're not there with anyone else, let's say you're at home listening to a live record, do you still feel that shared sense of community that you would get at a concert? It's not so much the sense of community in that you're experiencing it with anyone else, but hearing something and just being blown away by it. You know that everyone else listening to that record has heard it too, and the chances of someone else going, what did I just hear? Um, The first thing that came to mind when you said it was uh, a Bruce Springsteen album live in New York Mm -hmm. and uh, the song Youngstown. And Nils Lofgren's guitar solo during for Youngstown, um, I, I've listened to over and over. I'll cue up the song, you know, to that point. Just, but my point is those. Oh wow! I can't believe I just heard that moment for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's and and the thing I love about the live record is you hear the audience acknowledge that acknowledge for those sure. just instances you don't get anywhere else and. You know, for me, listening to a live record, I find myself at home clapping like, wow, yes, great, fantastic work, you know, however it might be. Greg Cott of famed Chicago music journalism, currently with the Chicago Tribune, he penned a piece for the BBC in 2014. Uh, it was it was a succinct piece talking about live albums and he wrote, live albums might still work as souvenirs for some fans, an expedient contract-fulfilling product for some artists, but who's using the format to make a statement anymore? I'd like to get your take on what he wrote right there. Do you think that a live album these days, even with the ease of access that we have it, is really to appease a small niche of fans, or can it still make a statement? I think it can do both. I think that it absolutely, I don't want to say appeases a small niche of fans i i think that it it delivers something that niche wants um it also has an opportunity to show off what a band can really do mm-hmm. uh, i know it's from more than 10 years ago but mtv's unplugged nirvana mtv unplugged i mean that was a game changer yeah for that band yeah and they were already one of the biggest bands in the world but then to hear them do those songs stripped down with just as much energy um, just as much emotion. I mean, come on, the the version of About a Girl on that album and the and the, the album closer, Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, yeah. those are... It blows you those away. Those are mortal, yeah. He touches on that in the article, talking about how the 90s saw a profound change in the live album experience due to Unplugged, largely because of Nirvana's set. And you had artists, instead of creating that big grand live album are now stripping down to the more of an unplugged style yeah the clapton unplugged record where mm-hmm. he reworked a couple of songs that you know i'm thinking of the the version of layla which some people thought was brilliant the way he reworked and other people thought was you know an abomination and um i don't think one or the other is is right right um but then you, you know you talk about like jay-z had an unplugged record that how many people would never have thought to have discovered or get into Jay-Z yeah. did because of that Unplugged album. Yeah. Well, and I think the the great part about the Unplugged series is that it creates this 
common sound in that you're stripping everything down to its roots, but everything is so varied in it that you get an artist like Jay-Z who has like all these, you know, heavy beats really, it can be like, man, I didn't know they were capable of doing this. Like, this is fantastic. And you gain that new appreciation for their work. You know, talking about R&B and rap groups, there's nothing, for me, there's nothing cooler than watching, you know, an R&B group, you know, a Jay-Z who's so heavily produced have a live band behind him. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, it's just a wow to see as well. So I think it's, I think it's great that the accessibility we have with YouTube, you can actually witness stuff like this as opposed to, you know. (laughs) <laughs> this may sound counterintuitive, but, you know, going out and buying a record and sitting down and listening to it because that visual spectacle adds a whole new element. Now, Greg Cott did write another thing talking about live albums in the 70s. He said, a more commercial role for the live album emerged in the 70s. They served as greatest hits collections with audience applause. As cynical as that might sound, they often provided a mainstream introduction for relatively underappreciated artists with deep catalogs. One of those artists he talked about was the Allman Brothers with the At Fillmore East album they did. Um, when you have stuff like that come across, I think you still see those types of things happen today. They're just not happening on you know vinyl that you're picking up and buying. You're getting it on YouTube or other streaming services. So I don't know if I agree with them in the I, I agree with them in the sense that it does allow fans to discover artists that may not have been prevalent in you know quote unquote mainstream media but that still happened and i feel like that has happened throughout the course it's not just unique to the 1970s i don't think that with the uh with the allman brothers Fillmore album you know those songs weren't hits at the time right you know they became hits they became very well known as the band went on but they weren't they weren't hits they really didn't have hits right so how does a band like the Allman Brothers, let's say, you know, who strength is in their long jams and improvisational sections, uh, you know, or even like a whipping poster in memory of Elizabeth Reed, which are just classics and staples of any Allman Brothers or Allman Brothers related project live experience. Does it behoove underappreciated bands who may not have large followings to release live materials if they are firm believers in their work? And it's almost like you got to see them in concert to believe them. And that's a great way to put it. You got to see it to believe it. You got to experience it live to believe it. Oh, you like what we're doing here? Well, wait do you hear this? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe you don't like the studio sound. Well, will you hear us live? Right. Um, you know, something that we haven't talked about is how a, a, a live performance, a live recording can just show how much work goes into replicating that studio sound on stage in front of people. Tame Impala mm-hmm. is, uh, is a great example. And they have a couple of uh, official live releases. Um, one of them was uh, actually an XRT show uh, at the Riv from several years ago. It was their record store day uh, release yeah. a few years back. Um, but you see Tame Impala live and you go, Oh my God, that's almost not verbatim what's on the record but the sound the you know the 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 passion the 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 production that goes into it it's like that's on the album and they're doing that live and it's just five of them it's equally as mind-blowing right and it's interesting you almost want it to be just like the album in a sense like that where 
you're just witnessing how much effort the artists undertook to get what they wanted and to be able to replicate that and bring that out into the stage is fantastic. And I think that's, it's, that's something that I wonder as an artist, is that a high priority for you to do? And I would imagine the answer is going to vary from artist to artist. Totally would. You know, you ask one person, they're going to say, I want to recreate what I did in the studio note for note. Some artists are going to say, well, that was really just a roadmap and we're going to follow it. I mean, you know, in your experience talking to artists, have you ever delved into any of the topics, you know, as far as what their ambitions are for their concerts? Yes. It's more as opposed to what the ambitions are. It's more, uh, I want to know how those songs uh, recreated in a live setting are received. Hmm. And some artists have been very forthcoming by saying, okay, that tanked. Yeah. Shouldn't have done that or, or realized that it was a different song live than it was in the studio. And it, it means something completely different when, you know, it's, it's being performed in someone's face yeah. as opposed to listen to uh, on an album. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that? I knew many artists that you can think of off the top. I mean, off the, off the top of your head. <laughs> one artist that comes to mind or one band that comes to mind is Portugal, the man. And we had a conversation in, before their Lollapalooza set uh, last summer, and they talked about how the new album, the songs from the new album, were just ridiculously well-received, even almost beyond their expectations. Um, not so much much to their surprise. They were really happy that, wow, we're recreating these songs live. We're, we're doing some different things. We're, adding some, we're surprising people, and fans are eating it up. What do you think it takes for an artist to get to that standpoint? I think they've got to be really comfortable. They've got to be really confident in the music that they've produced, that it can stand up, that it does have the legs to it. That being said, I'm not an artist, and I could be totally, <laughs> totally wrong. Uh, it's just my perception where the artists who they perform, you can feel that confidence come through yeah. on stage. Yeah. I think you can see that, too, if you're in the venue. Or even hear, hearing it back on a live album... Maybe it's not even taking more risk, but in the sense of, oh, we're going to do something new with this record, but it could be like the Tame Impala example where, okay, we're going to take a risk by trying to do every single thing we did on the album in the live setting. And that's, I think, just as ambitious as trying to recreate something new. Another point you brought up was an artist playing a song that they thought would go over well, and it completely tanks. I feel that the opposite of that that you hear often is I had no idea the song was going to be a hit, that it was going to be really well received. When you have a song like that where an artist doesn't anticipate the success, have you found that, you know, either in your conversations with them or just, you know, reading up on artists, that they're more prone to delivering fans what they want and you really don't need to hear the live version of that song? You can just stick with the studio one. Or you really still got to see the live version just to see the power that it creates when it's done in a huge group of people. As far as artists, recent artists or, 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 or newer artists, I don't think so. But correct me if I'm wrong, but what I think you're asking are there some artists who phone it in? For lack of a better term, yes. <laughs> yeah, and I think we see a lot of that with bands who have been around a while, who have been playing, and they, they absolutely know how... how they they absolutely know how to perform a song, yeah. So that the fans react <laughs> the right way. You're not going to get, yeah. We'll just yeah. we'll leave it at that. 
Pete Townsend talked to Rolling Stone, I think, two years ago, saying he'd be fine if he never played. God, won't Maybe get fooled it, again. Yeah, won't get fooled again. And it's just like, yeah, I think that touches perfectly on what you're saying, that, well, they're going to be pissed if we don't play this song, so here we go, and it's what's, you know, bringing food home for my family at night, so I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and hear it. Shifting gears a bit, what do you think the hesitation is from an artist's standpoint to releasing a live album? Or is there a hesitation these day, this day and age? I would venture to guess could be completely wrong but i would venture to guess that it would you'd run the risk of putting it all out there Mm -hmm. and showing all your cards all at once where okay is that all you got a fan could could potentially ask yeah for for younger artists that are out there where it's so easy to get your live material out in front of people do you think that it's more impactful for them just to throw up, you know, a live single on YouTube as opposed to going through the whole process of recreating an entire live album and then giving it to people where it's really like you said, hey, this person, is that all you got? We still have that bag of tricks up your sleeve, but you want to show, hey, you're missing out if you're not consuming this. When you talk about throwing a live single up on, you know, a website, are you literally, are you saying like, hey, we played this at Shuba's on Monday and Tuesday, it's up, you know, listen to it? Or do you mean like, we played this at Shuba's on Monday and we're going to still put the same care into it, into, you know, creating the best possible product? Yeah. Um, I think that, well, yeah, so which, I mean, kind of what do you mean? Yeah, when you have, let's say, let, let's use Jade Bird as an example. Her song, Uh-huh, that's performed live at Studio X on Shuba's, you put that up, on just that song alone and you say hey this is what it can be you know enjoy it and we're still going to give the same badass energy that we're going to have into it whether you see us three months from now three years from now however however long this thing takes us as opposed to oh hey by the way we did this thing you know check it out i think it behooves any artist to go ahead and put the same kind of care and thought behind any song that they release, whether it's going to be a full-length album or it's just going to be a song here or a song there, live or, you know, a studio recording. Mm-hmm. Some of the responses we got on our on the poll I put on social media were from artists who release albums as tour recaps. Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats released Live at Red Rocks, and I don't remember which album they were touring on, but I believe it was done so after they were done touring behind the album. Do you think that live albums like that have their place in time and is almost a better way to present your material to an audience saying this is how we went about this tour, this is how it was done, and it's like just a snapshot of that band? You know, a a tour recap, that's a really good way to put it. Um, They did tour behind the, what what was or is the debut album of Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a great way to say this is this is who we are, and it, it's a great album, but here's what it sounds like live. And that they're a great band. Um, they're a completely different live band yeah. than they are from studio band. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely one of those... They're equally incredible performances, but man, some of those songs can be polar opposites. Right. Um, 
so let's let's talk about a band like that. You know, it was after their debut album, and let's jump forward in time twenty years from now, where Nathaniel Rayliff, Nathaniel Rayliff, and the Night Sweats live at Red Rocks is celebrating its twentieth anniversary. How do you feel a re- live record like that gains a similar level of prestige as something like a live at Budokan? or any of these albums that we hold up as being, yes, these are the pinnacle live albums, is it more so having to do with how the band just evolves afterwards? Or if the band, let's say they broke up, but you recognize that as, hey, this is a fantastic live album, and this is really reflective of their work and who they were as a band. I think whether or not they, you know, I don't ever want to say like, oh, if they broke up, let's not even put that out in the universe. But yeah, I think that that's an album that is an absolute... Uh, accurate reflection of them as musicians, uh, as, uh, as also as artists, but also as individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an example of like there ain't one member of that band that that doesn't have game. Mm-hmm. That isn't just an incredible musician. So, what do you think it takes for, say, an underappreciated artist to get recognized on the same level as like the Cheap Tricks or the Springsteens or like Jimi Hendrix's live records? Or is that even a fair comparison? I don't to think make? it's a fair comparison to make, you know. And it's not—it's no dig on any artist, but you know, we're never going to have another Jimi Hendrix. Um, and for all the reasons that we've talked about, you're never going to have. You're—I don't feel that we'll have an album like Hendrix at Monterey. There's just never going to be anything like that. That was an iconic performance. It was a moment in time that was captured. It was a it was a feel. It was the culture. It wasn't just about you know this left-handed guitarist blowing away you know the Monterey Pop Festival. Yeah. So I just don't know if we're going to have those moments in time again. Yeah, and it seems like it would be, and to bring it up to a macro level, an overall reflection of what people's musical tastes are the time being you know rock and roll is in a much different place now than it was when a lot of these live albums were released it may not be the driving force that it once was but that doesn't mean there's not great music still being made you kind of just have to look a little harder for it and fortunately as we mentioned the access to it is a lot easier so it's still there it may just not receive the widespread acclaim as you know hendrix live at monterey there's a uh an article that you shared with me i'm trying to find it the uh the article and it's from about 10 years ago from the independent live albums are dead and music is the loser i I thought was an absolute sorry if you want to edit this out that was an absolute bullshit hit piece i mean that was this piece is tantamount to clickbait yeah i think it's an ignorant thing to say live albums are dead that's absolute garbage i 100 percent agree with you and the reason I shared with is basically to counteract with the claims that it made, witnessed by the responses we got on our Facebook and Twitter poll. Just l- let me let me run through some of the bands that were on here for those of you that didn't take part in the poll or don't want to go and look back at it. And these are all, as I mentioned, artists that have released albums within the past ten years: Tame Impala, Tragically Hip, Jason Isbell and the Four Hundred Unit, Twin Peaks, Tedeschi Trucks Band, Pearl Jam. The National, Caged Elephant, Delamitri, LCD Sound System, Led Zeppelin, Yaysayer, Fish, The White Stripes, Soundgarden, Kate Bush, Todd Rundgren's Utopia, Father John Misty, Courtney Barnett, Poydog Pondering, Band of Horses, King Crimson, Dawes, Steve Winwood, Wilco, Tom Petty, on and on and on. You get the point. These are all quality artists that are 
a great mix of new artists, people that have been around for a long time, well-established, that have released live albums. So for the independent to say, oh, live albums are dead, proof's here, right here in the pudding. Aye, aye. Second that. <laughs> well, for those of you listening, I will put up uh, some of the albums that were mentioned in our poll, because rightfully so, they are great live records by some great artists that you should check out. So I want to give them their due credit. All you need to do to find them is go to 93xrt.com, and you can search for Inside the Archives. If you do not find this podcast up on the front page, you'll be able to find it. And we'll, we'll do a little social media plug while you've made it this far in the podcast. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Arnold Rocks. Ryan, what are your Facebook and Instagram handles if you'd like to share them? All the same, Ryan Arnold Rocks. Man, keeps it simple. I can appreciate that. You can follow me on Twitter at Marty Rosenbaum. And uh, be sure to follow 93XRT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 93XRT as well. So before we wrap things up, uh, let's let's nerd out a little bit on live albums, shall we? Because we've had a very philosophical conversation on where they've gone, what's happened to them, why they're still great, etc. What are some of your favorite live records that you want to share with people and that you would tell them, hey, you got to check this out. Do yourself a favor and listen to it. I think The Who, Live at Leeds. Uh, Pearl Jam, Live on Two Legs. Um, the Clash, their um, Shea Stadium album is one of them. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Live 1975 to 85. Those are some of my favorite live albums. What, are the, what about those albums make them your favorite? Uh, personally, Live at Leeds was the first time I'd ever heard The Who. So it was, it's just my, that was my gateway to The Who. Um, the, the Springsteen album, I mean, uh, albums, it's a, it's a, I think it's a six LP set. Um, you know, it captures 10 years of this band in its different incarnations with different members, different songwriting styles. It, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and there's nothing like a Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band concert. There's nothing like it. That may be an understatement. Yeah. And uh, that's an album I think that probably is one of the most accurate uh, accurate albums to capture uh, a live experience with that band. I think another one um, is Frampton Comes Alive. Uh, going back to one of the articles that you referenced, that was kind of a greatest hits album with an audience you know, soundtrack. Uh, it was also an example of how I'm going to do this, do this a little differently than it is on the album, and you're still going to love it. You're still going to eat it up. Who are some bands that you would love to hear a live album from? I'd love to hear, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear a record company live album, having seen them live a handful of times. Did Cage the Elephant come out with, they have a live album. They have Unpeeled, and they had no, something else. That's, yeah. I think they released... Live songs. I don't... Yeah, I think they released a show that they did at the Vic, too. I don't know if that's a bootleg or not, or if that's an official. Release. Oh, you know, that's something that we never talked about. That was the other way. The only way you could get live albums was to go to the record store to the, air quotes, import section. <laughs> and find. And I have a handful of, you know, I have a couple Springsteen records, you know, from the Roxy, yeah. you know, in, in 78. A couple Stones albums, Little Feet live albums because that's the only way you could hear them well let's dig into this a little bit further because it's a podcast and we have no time restrictions <laughs> bootlegs have been around for a long time it's not a new phenomenon but they just come in different forms these days with people holding up their cell phones at shows 
or in some cases the bands allowing tapers to come into their show and distribute their recordings to the fan base. How, how do you think that bootlegs play into listening? How do you think bootlegs play into the live experience when you're at home as opposed to an official live album? I think it's the novelty of it. You know, it's the, it's the, sometimes it doesn't sound so great or you can hear the guy clapping next to, you know, <laughs> next to whoever's snuck in the recording device. Yeah. Uh, I think there's the novelty of it. Yeah. Uh, more than anything. If you're listening for like beautiful fidelity, well, you're not, that ain't the way, that ain't the thing to listen to. Yeah. I mean, audio files aren't going to be scrambling to get the latest bootleg when they know it's going to sound not up to their standards. You know, that, but that's also an example of like, why official live recordings it's just there's so many different ways to to access live material yeah so official live recordings maybe they aren't as necessary yeah i mean i've been blown away by some fan shot youtube videos of live performances where i know the quality is not as good Mm -hmm. as if the band put this out and mastered it themselves but Man, you watch some of those, and it's like, this is fantastic. I am totally hooked right now. I want to check out some of the other material that this artist has. We were doing uh, something with uh, the Black Crows, and they uh, allowed some XRT listeners to watch their sound check at a, one of their well, final shows, but it was at the Riv. And uh, Chris Robinson made a really good point where he, he asked a question and, and said, it's not rhetorical, I want to know. When is the last time you watched a cell phone video of a concert and said, my God, I feel like I'm there? And it's true. You know, yeah, some of these are incredible performances or incredible uh, 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 captures. But yeah, when's the last time you watch something and go, I, I, I can totally pick up the experience. It's like <laughs> I was there. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen. Doesn't, doesn't really happen. Um Another another plug for a great YouTube video that I found, speaking of record stores labeling bootlegs as imports, this is from the 70s, and it involved Neil Young going into a record store. I don't know where it was, but he found one of his records that was a bootleg that the store was selling, and it's just like a 10-minute interaction. Uh, Neil Young never yelled, never got aggressive, or like threatened to you know punch the guy, and the fight was going to break out, but very much was like, Hey, I'm Neil Young, and you're selling this, and I don't approve of it. And just the interaction between him and this, you know. Oh, you got to post a link for that, yeah. Who's like, I'm sorry, man. My owner just said we we had this. We had to sell this. Like, don't I? I make two bucks an hour here. Don't take this out on me. It's a must watch. So just search Neil Young bootleg record store, like from the '70s or something. And uh, he brought up a lot of a lot of good points that you touched on. It's he's like, this isn't reflective of my work. It's not how I wanted it captured. It's not how I wanted the live my live experience shared with my fans and i think it's doing a disservice to my music by offering it on there um so i think that's you know however the medium is whether it's on a vinyl record that neil young's going to escape out of your record store or if it's a cell phone video that's always going to be there well ryan thanks so much for joining us today and since we are talking here in june of 2019 what are some of the concerts you're looking forward to seeing this summer Brandy Carlisle performing at Huntington Bank Pavilion that at the end of this month that'll be fantastic. Uh, John Schofield is coming to space. It's the Taste of Chicago lineup. There are some incredible, absolutely incredible shows. Courtney Barnett playing with Sunflower Bean. Uh, I first heard Sunflower Bean on uh, the Big Beat. Jason Thomas's new music show Monday nights at ten. 
Yeah, there's no lack of good music that's coming to Chicago this summer. One of the one of the perks of being here. So, if you want to find out who's coming to town soon, all you got to do is follow 93XRT on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And follow Ryan on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Ryan Arnold Rocks, because you steal the scoop from me a lot, Ryan. You let people know what's happening. And I hold that against you just a little bit, because it's part of my job. Just a but little bit. But I love Ryan. you for it. I love you, too. Because it's a source of information that I get. <laughs> so, Ryan, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Always love it, Marty. Thanks for having me. Of course. And just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to Inside the Archives on iTunes. Just search for Inside the Archives in the iTunes library. Leave us a rating or review and find a full list of every single episode we've done thus far. If you want to listen to us through Radio.com, you can do that as well. Just find us in the Radio.com podcast section by searching for Inside the Archives. For 93XRT and Inside the Archives, I'm Marty Rosenbaum. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 